This morning we want to prepare our hearts for the taking of communion. Communion is a time in which we celebrate the fellowship that exists between God and ourselves and among ourselves. We celebrate the significance of Jesus' death. First Corinthians says, As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show forth the Lord's death till he comes. This is to be a living illustration of the significance of Jesus' death. We are to teach it. We are to proclaim it. And it is to last until the Lord Jesus himself returns and brings an end to it. We rejoice in the fact that our Lord Jesus Christ is coming back. We are thankful that in his first coming, he died in our place. This is what is referred to as the substitutionary atonement. Jesus dying as a substitute in our place. We want to emphasize this morning how that works. How is it that our sins can be placed on Jesus and his righteousness can be placed on us? The doctrine that covers that discussion is the doctrine called imputation. Imputation is the act whereby the actions of one person are counted or applied or contributed to the action of another person. So, our theme this morning is we're going to take a close look at the doctrine of imputation to better understand and reinforce our confidence in the acceptance that we have with God because of the substitutionary death of our Lord Jesus Christ. Please turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I'll begin reading at verse 18. Now, all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now, in verse 19, that statement, N-A-S, not counting their trespasses against them. Also, N-I-V, King James, not imputing their trespasses against them. So, here is this great doctrine of imputation. And the verse that we are going to focus on is verse 21. He made him, that is, God the Father made Jesus Christ who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. There is the doctrine of imputation in a nutshell. And we are going to work through this verse, almost word for word, to really unpack the important significance of this transaction that takes place on our behalf. So, we begin by asking the question, what does it mean that our sins are imputed to Christ? What does it mean that our sins are imputed to Christ? Look at verse 21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf.
behalf. First and foremost, we are to see that Christ is totally sinless. That is described in our text in the words, He did not know sin. That is, He did not have a personal, experiential knowledge of sin. That encompasses two ideas. First, Jesus was without sin because he himself never personally committed sin. There was no act of sin that Jesus himself participated in. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 says this, For we do not have a high priest who cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. Jesus never succumbed to temptation. Jesus never committed a single act of sin. But not only was he free from sin because he never personally committed sin himself, he was also free from a sin nature. We are born as sinners. Jesus was not born as a sinner. That is the great significance of the virgin birth. Of the fact that he was born of the Virgin Mary. He did not possess the sinful nature that comes from Adam. And so 1 John 3.5 says, And you know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. In him, intrinsically, there is no sin. So in the fullest sense of that word, Jesus was fully, completely sinless. Secondly, it is said concerning Christ that he was, quote, made to be sin. Look at verse 21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin. To be sin. So, in what sense was Jesus made to be sin? What does that mean? It does not mean that Jesus became a sinner. Meaning that he himself behaved in a sinful manner. Jesus did not act sinfully or personally commit sin before, and now here's the really important part, or after our sins were placed on Jesus. After our sins were placed on Jesus, He Himself never committed sin. He did not begin to curse or rebel or act in any kind of sinful manner. While Jesus suffered as a sinner, Jesus never committed any sin. Listen to the words of 1 Peter. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was Any deceit found in his mouth. 
and while being reviled. Referring to the time on the cross. While being reviled, while being rebuked, while being mocked, by, while being ridiculed. He did not revile in return. While suffering, referring to the agony that he was experiencing on the cross as he bore our sins, as he was suffering in our place, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to the God who judges righteously. 1 Peter 2.23 Not only did Jesus not commit any sin on the cross, Jesus acted righteously. Jesus taught while he was on the earth that you were to turn the other cheek. Jesus turned the other cheek as he went to the cross. As Jesus was suffering on the cross, he prayed and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He spoke words of peace, words of compassion, and words of forgiveness, even as he was suffering in our place. He always acted righteously. Instead of rebelling against God, the final words of Jesus were that he bowed his head in submission to the will of God the Father. And he said, into thy hands I commend my spirit. It is finished. It is finished. He was obedient to the will of the Father, to his very last breath. So he suffered as a sinner in our place, but he himself never, ever sinned. Thirdly, it says in this verse that he was made to be sin on our behalf, meaning that our sin with all of its consequences, was placed on Christ. Jesus took our place of condemnation. Look at verse 21. He who made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. King James, NIV, for us. For us. But the NAS translates it well, for when we read the, tra- the preposition for, it doesn't simply mean with us in view. It's more than just the fact that Jesus died for us, meaning with us in view, or with us in mind. It is, in fact, the right preposition that Jesus Christ died on our behalf, or in our place. Yes, we were in view, but but much more than in view, He was our personal substitute. When we should have died, when we should have suffered, When we should have experienced the consequences of our sinfulness, Jesus took upon himself those consequences. He died in our place. The consequences of sin that he bore were actually our consequences. The punishment that Jesus experienced was our punishment. 
The condemnation that came upon Jesus was, in fact, our condemnation. Listen to the words of the Word of God. Isaiah 53, 4. He, that is Jesus, bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. He bore our griefs. He carried our sorrows. Isaiah 53, 6. But the Lord caused the iniquity of us to fall on Him. God caused our iniquity to fall or be placed on Jesus. 1 Peter 2, 4. And He, referring to Jesus, He Himself bore our sins in the body of the cross. That's the first half of the doctrine of imputation. Here we have a sinless Son of God who is treated like a sinner, though He Himself never ever sinned. Is treated like a sinner because of us. He takes on for Himself what sin means for us. The consequences uh, of it. Having understood that much, now let's look at the flip side. That is, His righteousness being placed upon us. For there are a number of similarities and one dissimilarity in the doctrine that we've already discussed. There is... An analogy, and there is a distinction. So that the two halves are not completely symmetrical. I'll explain that in more detail. But first, the first comparison. We were totally devoid of righteousness, just as Jesus Christ was totally devoid of sin. That's important to realize. We were completely devoid of righteousness, just as Jesus was completely devoid of sin. Isaiah 64, 6 says, And all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. If you want to look at our righteousness, if you want to look at our good deeds, and you compare them to a, a pure, white, holy, Cloth, well, it's like a grimy, dirty rag. We've committed sins. We're devoid of righteousness. Romans 3.10 says, There is none righteous. No, not one. Not one human being apart from Jesus Christ is righteous. Romans 3.23 For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Jesus committed no sin. We commit sins. And notice what verse 21 says. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now what does that mean? Well, first, Christ's righteousness was placed on us in the same manner that our 
unrighteousness or our sin was placed on Jesus. Just as Jesus bore the miserable consequences of our disobedience, we bear the wonderful consequences of Christ's obedience. Just as Christ, the sinless one, was treated as a sinner, so too we who are without righteousness are treated like righteous people. Jesus, without sin, treated as though he were unrighteous. We who have sin treated as though we are righteous. God provided that righteousness in the person of Jesus Christ. Verse 21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. In Christ refers to in union with Christ. In union with Christ. Romans 3.22 This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all believe there is no difference. The obedience of Christ is attributed to us. Romans 5.19 For just as through the obedience of the one many were made sinners, so through the obedience of one many will be made righteousness. Christ's righteousness, His obedience, His sinlessness applied to us. So there's the symmetrical part. Christ, sinless. Our sins placed on Him. And so the sinless one, treated like a sinner in our place. We who are sinful, have the righteousness of Jesus Christ placed upon us and we're treated as though we were righteous because of what Jesus has done. But now, we get to the not symmetrical part or the asymmetrical part of this verse. For notice verse 21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. And I would encourage you to circle, if you make marks in your Bible, the word become. Become. Now, I know if you have a King James, it says made. But it's important for you to know that in verse 21, the first made, he made him to be sin for us, is a different Greek word than the second made that's in the King James, which in the NIS and the NIV is become. Become. The righteousness of God. Because here is the Asymmetrical part. Jesus died so that not only 
we would be treated like righteous people. Jesus died so that we would actually become righteous people. Christ had something, excuse me, God had something even better in view than simply that our standing would change. That is, we would move from a place of being treated like a sinner to be treated righteously. And that's wonderful. But even more than that, what's in view is that Jesus Christ died so that we who were sinners would actually become righteous people. He actually makes us intrinsically righteous. You see, when our sin was imputed to Christ, it did not result in Christ acting righteously. Excuse me, sinfully. When our sins were imputed to Christ, it did not result in His acting sinfully. But when His righteousness is imputed to us, it begins... Uh, results in our beginning to act righteously. 2 Corinthians 5.17 If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. And most literally translated, and all things are becoming new. There is a transformation that is taking place in our hearts and lives. Because God had something better in store. God never intended that Jesus be corrupted. God never intended that Jesus himself would become sinful in his own actions, in his own attitude. Jesus died simply so that our sins were placed upon him simply so that he could be our Savior. But it was in the plan and will and purpose of God that when, our, when Jesus Christ's righteousness was placed on us, there would be more than just the fact that we would be treated like righteous people we would actually be righteous people. So that one day, when we are in heaven, we not only are going to experience the joy of being in a place for righteous people, when we're in heaven, we're going to be righteous people. We're not simply going to be sinners that are treated like righteous. We're going to be righteous. We won't lie. We won't steal. We won't rebel. We won't have a sinful thought or attitude. We will be holy. We will be just. We will actually be like God. For we shall see Him as He is. In the intervening period, from the time that we are born again, from the time that Christ's righteousness is placed on us from that time till the time that we die. We are in a state of transformation. God is working in our hearts through the person of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is called the Holy Spirit. That's a descriptive title. We can talk about the Holy Father. We can talk about the Holy Son. But Jesus is referred to constantly as the Holy Spirit because that is the primary ministry or activity of the Spirit of God. He is a Spirit of holiness. He is producing holiness in us. Changing our minds. Changing our hearts. Changing our attitudes. Changing our activities and behaviors. 
so that we begin to live more righteously and less sinfully. This was the Father's design. So as we go to the communion table this morning, we want to rejoice in this great doctrine of imputation. So in review, what does this doctrine teach us? It teaches us that Jesus, who himself was without sin completely, having never sinned before our sins were placed upon him or after our sins were placed upon him, Jesus, the sinless one, died in our place so that our sins could be placed on him. He died in our place so that his righteousness could be placed upon us. And just as Jesus was regarded as a sinner, even though he was sinless, so too we are regarded as righteous even though we were without righteousness. And we are treated as righteous even though we continue to commit sin. Even as Jesus was treated as a sinner even though He continued after our sins were placed upon Him to be Treated as a sinner, even though he was sinless. You see the parallel? That even after we are regarded as sinless, even though today you and I cannot personally speak of an intrinsic righteousness. You and I can't say, since we know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, we don't sin. Or we never sin. You're treated as a righteous person today because of what Jesus did. And you will always be treated as a righteous person because of what Jesus did. But, but, in the grand design of God, in the mercy of God, in the grace of God, in the goodness of God, He doesn't just treat you as righteous. He doesn't just treat me as righteous. He's making us righteous. He's transforming us. He's doing a work in us by the Holy Spirit. And we long for more of that work. We long to be rid of our sin. And be engulfed in righteousness. And that will happen when we stand in the very presence of God. Totally without sin. Personally. Perfectly. Truly righteous. Not just in our standing, but in our person. That is the message of the communion table. That is the death of the Lord Jesus Christ that we want to show forth this morning. That through His shed blood, through the offering of His body, we can, or who are sinful can be treated as righteous. And more, that that death and that power of His blood and body 
actually worked in us to make us holy people. We talk about eating of the communion table to our nourishment, our spiritual nourishment. Part of that spiritual nourishment is that we rededicate ourselves today new and afresh to God. Longing to be free from sin. Longing to be a more holy people. And by the grace of God, that's going to be accomplished. Because that's the grand design. And Jesus Christ shedding his blood for us. So, as we go to the communion table, the first application would be, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? Are you in union with Christ? Romans says we become in union with Christ through faith. Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Now, what does that mean? Simply this. Simply this. You acknowledge this morning that you're a sinner. The scripture says we've all sinned to come short of the glory of God. Do you fess up to that personally? Have you come to grips with the idea that you're not perfect? There are things that you have done wrong in your life that you need forgiveness for? Do you realize that there is no other way to be treated as righteous? Then through Jesus Christ. If there was some other way, Jesus Christ died in vain. He didn't die in vain. There's no other way to be right with God. It's through Jesus Christ or you're not right with God. The only way to be treated as a righteous person is not by turning over a new leaf. It's by trusting in Jesus Christ and what he did when he died on that cross and rose again. It's trusting in his righteousness. It's saying, I don't have mine, I need his. So, have you confessed your sin? Have you expressed your personal faith in Jesus Christ? If you have, then you are saved. And what that means is two things. First, now and forevermore, you will be treated by God as righteous. And now, by the grace of God, God is at work within you to make you more righteous and less sinful. He is at work in you to conform you to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? as the only way to have a right relationship with God. If you never have, I implore you. Our text goes on to say, we beseech you in Christ's stead. We beg you, be reconciled to God. Come into a right relationship with God. We beg you in behalf of Jesus Christ. It's an incredible image. It's the image of Jesus who hung on the cross and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It's as though Jesus were here today, down on his knees, pleading with you to accept what he's done on your behalf. Won't you receive my righteousness? I will take your sin. Will you receive his righteousness today? And if you know his righteousness, do you rejoice in Jesus who died in your place? May you have confidence 
to know that I have a right standing with God for all eternity, no matter what. And may we know that Jesus, through the work of the Holy Spirit, is at work in us, moving us, striving with us, helping us day by day to become more righteous and less sinful. Let's pray. Our Father, we commit ourselves anew and afresh to you. And as we go to the communion table, we pray for any that is here this morning that have never personally received the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Lord, I, I pray if there's a single soul here today that has never gotten to the place where they've recognized their sinfulness, recognized their need, recognized that they'll never be treated as righteous before God without having the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And today would be the day that light goes on. Today would be that day that the Spirit of God works, regenerates, moves, and grants faith. Lord, bring any here today who don't know you to yourself. And Lord, we who know you as our Lord and Savior, we recommit ourselves today pleading and asking that by your grace we would become less sinful and more righteous. Thank you for that great design. And Lord, we rejoice in the utopia that it will be to be in your presence without sin. Not just being treated as though we are not sinners, really being without sin. And may we understand that the misery of this world is in fact our sinfulness. And what a utopia it would be. How different our lives would be. How different our homes would be. How our marriages would be. Our workplace would be. Lord, if we didn't sin. So we implore you, O oh God, help us in our sinfulness to be transformed to Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.